0: We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today.
1: As I was thinking about this series and this, uh, this message this morning... Um, I was reminded of some things when I was a kid, and so especially this time of year, a lot of us tend to start thinking back and reflecting when we were younger about the things that our parents did or maybe didn't do or maybe tried to do. And so I was thinking of a funny time that I remember my parents were trying to, to save a few bucks, and this was long before the days of Dave Ramsey. But they were starting to cut some things out of the budget. They were starting to replace some things with some other things. And as a kid, I don't know about you, but I had some of my staples, some things that I really loved and held on to when it came to snacks. Anybody else out there? can, Can I get an amen? Like you have your little things, your little snacks, your little treats. So I remember during this time when they were starting to to, to, to pinch a few, a few pennies and save a few bucks, that they began uh, replacing some of my stuff with some substitutes. And, and let me give you an example. For instance, I, I remember um, one of my favorite drinks as a kid was this thing that you probably enjoy as well called Dr. Pepper. Yeah, a, a, amen, right? Everybody likes some Dr. Pepper, especially if you're from Texas, right? And so uh, Dr. Pepper was kind of like one of the main drinks or main sodas in our house when my dad would buy them. But as he started cutting our budget, he was looking for a substitute. He thought he was pretty clever. He went and he found this stuff that looked very similar to Dr. Pepper, even the coloring and the logo, and it was this horrific stuff called Dr. Thunder. Yeah. Dr. Thunder from Down Under, right? I mean, that, is, that should be illegal. That is, called, that is a rip-off. That, is, that, is, that looks like Dr. Pepper. If you're not looking closely, the colors, the logo, like you just open the cat, you're like, oh, sweet, there's my Dr. Pepper. And then you're like... What is this stuff? Who 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 stole my Dr. Pepper and replaced it with Dr. Thunder? And then I started going to the pantry and I was going to get my favorite thing out, which is my cereal. Everybody loves some cereal. And one of my favorites was this stuff called Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries, right? You gotta have your Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries. And so I I I loved this. I ran to the pantry to get this out, and instead of finding Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries, I found this stuff, Lieutenant Crunch. With no Crunch Berries. I don't know if you can read this, but it says, It's just like Captain Crunch cereal, but I make less money. That's the difference in Captain Crunch and Lieutenant Crunch. And so, man, my parents thought they were funny. They thought they were clever by providing me some of these generic... Substitutes. They tried to convince me that, man, these things—it's—it's just like the real thing. It tastes just like Dr Pepper. It tastes just like Lieutenant, like like Captain Crunch. It just doesn't have any berries. And I said, well, if you like it so much, then you eat it, right? And so that didn't go over too well. But as I got a little older, as I got a little older and a little bit wiser, a few years ago, my family and I moved from Florida um, and we moved to back to West Texas to Odessa. And as we uh, were living there, they, start, they were building this building down the street from us, and I started getting all happy and all excited because um, uh, I, I, it looked exactly like a Chick-fil-A building. And so I, was, I saw this building going up, and I was like, man this is going to be awesome. Like a Chick-fil-A right down the street from my house within walking distance. I can just walk down there and get me some Jesus chicken anytime I want. I can get me a number one and a sweet tea with some lemonade uh, any day, anytime. And then right before it was about to open, they put this logo on there and I went, wait a minute, hold on, time out. That's not Chick-fil-A. What is this mess? And it was this place called Chicken For You. I'm not kidding you. And my friends were like, well, it's a local businessman, and he's, he, he, it's just like Chick-fil-A. It tastes just like it. It's like the real. And I said, no, 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 hold on. So this, this place opens up. My family and I go to Chicken For You, and I said, I'll be the judge of that. So I walk in there. I try a little bit of this uh, Chicken For You, ordered a number one, which is exactly like the Chick-fil-A menu, ordered me my chicken sandwich and my waffle fries, took one bite, and I said, this place has got to go. There is no substitute for Chick-fil-A. You can substitute a lot of things, but you can't substitute some Jesus chicken. There is only one Jesus chicken, and that is Chick-fil-A. In fact, I was thinking about a scripture that could kind of uh, that resembled this, this situation. It's found in Galatians when Paul is writing to the church at Galatia, and he says, hey, if anyone tries to preach to you another gospel other than the gospel bird Chick-fil-A, gospel chicken, right? let them be accursed, right? So I'm just telling you today, if anyone tries to pass off some generic substitute for Chick-fil-A, I would say the same thing that Paul says in Galatians. Let them be accursed, right? Let them be condemned if they try to sell you anything other than the true Jesus chicken from Chick-fil-A. You may be sitting there today asking yourself, what in the world does this have to do with anything that we're talking about this Christmas season with our series called The Shadows of Christmas. And so we're going to continue this today talking about what we started last week, looking at some shadows, some stories in the Old Testament that point to something greater in the future. And so as we looked last week, Pastor Todd kicked us off. He started us off in Genesis and we talked about the first Adam, And how the first Adam was merely a shadow that was pointing to the greater Adam, Jesus, that would come. And so today, we're going to look at another Old Testament story found in Genesis, Genesis 22. And in that story, we're going to see another shadow that will point us to the greater substitute, Jesus himself. And so if you have your Bibles, turn and open up to Genesis chapter 22. Starting in verse 1, we're going to read a chunk of this right out of the gate, and we're going to see some shadows as we go throughout this text today. Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1, it says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us wisdom, that you would help us to see the things that you want us to see, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that understand and fall more in love with you today Because of who you are and what you've done. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Verse 2 says, Take your son, your only son Isaac, the one whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on which one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So take your son, your only son You see, it's important for us to understand what's going on here and what's hanging in the balance, so to speak. Let's back up a couple chapters and you look at Genesis chapter 15. You have this man named Abraham and God talks to him, speaks to him one night. And he says, hey, Abraham, get up and walk outside. And so Abraham gets up and he walks outside and he says, I want you to go outside and I want you to look up at the stars in the sky You see all those stars? I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will bless all nations through you. Only one slight problem there. The problem is that Abraham and Sarah have no kids. In this moment, Abraham hears clearly from God. He hears what God is saying and he he says, Man, this looks amazing. This looks great, God, but there's a problem here. How are you going to do this? We don't have any children, and we're not getting any younger. Like, time is ticking, so to speak. Jump over to 17, and then he, he comes and he speaks again, and he tells Abraham, he says, Hey, Sarah will have a son, and I want you to name him Isaac. And Abraham, in that moment, fell on his face laughing. He laughed out loud. He laughed at God. In fact, Sarah says the same thing. She does the same thing and she laughs. and, And that's actually what the name Isaac means is laughter. They both laughed at God. But Abraham laughs hysterically at God and says, man, that would have been nice if you had done this a few years ago. That would have been nice if you had come to me and told me this when I was 20 or 30 or maybe even 40 or 50, but I'm 100 years old now. I'm as good as dead. In fact, Sarah's 90 years old, and her body's as good as dead. Like, this is impossible, God. You're telling me that you're going to give a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman a son, God's not amused by him or his laughter. In fact, God is not shaken or moved by Abraham's doubts or fears or questions. Here's God's response. He says, I will establish my covenant with Isaac as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Nine months later, God's word comes true. Isaac is born. The promise proved to be true and Isaac is finally here. You see, it's this son, this Isaac, the one through whom all nations will be blessed. He has finally arrived to a hundred year old man and a 90 year old woman. So you can see the dilemma that we're facing in Genesis chapter 22 now. In verse 2 when he says, take your son, your only son. Son, whom you love, and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering on the mountain that I tell you to. I'm sure in that moment, Abraham did what any of us would do. He said, hold on. Time out, God. Wait a second. We've got to pump the brakes here a little bit. Let me remind you, God, you said That you would bless me, that you would give me descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. You said that all nations would be blessed through my son Isaac. You said that princes and kings would be born from Sarah and from our family and from our lineage. How is this going to happen? How is this going to work out Are you sure that I heard you correctly? You want me to take the son of the promise and you want me to go up this mountain and you want me to give him back to you as a burnt offering. God, I don't understand. God, I can't make sense of this. You see, all of Sarah and all of Abraham's, all of their hopes and all of their dreams were wrapped up in this one son, their only son. He's all that they have and they're 100 years old and they're looking at this going, how can this be? I'm sure Abraham is sitting there going, God, I, I don't understand Like, I know that I heard you clearly, I heard your word, I heard your promises, and now I'm hearing you again, and the thing that you're asking me to do doesn't line up with the promise that you told me not so long ago. You're asking me to do the unthinkable. You're asking me to do something that no one should ever have to do. So what do you do in these moments What do you do when you find yourself in a situation when you know that God is asking you to do something and it just doesn't make sense? What do you do in those moments? What do you do when you can't see it? How do you move forward by faith when the thing that He's asking you to do just doesn't make any sense? I think we can look at this story and we can see what Abraham probably did. I believe in this moment that Abraham had to look back. I'm sure that Abraham had to go outside that night. In sheer agony and and just dreading what was going to have to happen, I'm sure he walked up and he looked up at the stars and he said, and he had to remind himself of God's promises in this moment. He had to look up at the stars and be reminded that God had made a promise to, to make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I'm sure that he had to look back and remember that when he was 100 years old and his body was as good as dead and Sarah was 90 years old and her body was as good as dead that God did the impossible he gave them a son when it didn't when it didn't make sense by all stretch of the imagination i don't know how well educated you are on child rearing and childbirth ages but this should not have happened Isaac is a walking, talking, living miracle. He is absolute proof that God is the God of the impossible. And he has been given as a gift to Abraham and Sarah. And so I'm sure that Abraham looked and he looked back at his, the past promises of God and he said, you said, God, that you would make my descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. God, you gave me a son when it didn't make sense, when it was humanly and physically impossible. You did the impossible. And I feel like there might be someone here today that may be in a situation, you may be staring something in the face and you're going, God, I don't understand why you have me here. God, I don't understand the things that you're calling me to. I can't even see it. It doesn't make sense. What do you do in those moments when God is asking you to step forward in faith and you don't know how to take a step because you can't see it? When you don't know how to step forward, first you need to look back you got to look back and remind yourself of the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, and remember that the promises of God are more powerful than your present situation. That's what Abraham had to do before he could ever take one step up that mountain, is he had to look back and say, God, I know that you're faithful. You've proven yourself to me time and time again throughout all of my life for 100 plus years. You gave me this son as a gift. He's just a gift that you've given me. And now I trust you more than I trust my own logic and my own reasoning. I know that you're able to do the impossible because I've seen you do it time and time again. And I don't know where you're at today, New Beginnings, but you might find yourself in this Christmas season asking some of those same questions going, God, how do I move forward? How do I get through this? How do I make sense of any of these things that you're doing in my life? And you've got to look back and remember that His promises are more powerful than your present situation. His promises are true. He is faithful and he can do the impossible. But you've got to trust him and you've got to keep stepping. And so Moses or Abraham gets up that morning and he begins a three-day journey through the valley of the shadow of death. He begins a 50-mile trek that is, takes him three days. I'm sure those three days were the, the longest days of his life. But he gets up And he goes, and every step is a step towards sacrifice. Every step must have brought unbearable pain and agony of the heart. In fact, A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God, he, he describes this story and he does it in a brilliant way, probably one of the greatest ways that I've ever heard. But he talks about this agony that Abraham must have gone through those sleepless nights when he was thinking about what God was asking him to do. And he says, this agony, there must have been this agony, this convulsing, this gut-wrenching wrestling match between Abraham and his God under the stars that night. And here's what he says, he says, not until one greater than Abraham wrestled in the garden of Gethsemane did such mortal pain visit a human soul You see, we have this father who's waited all of his life for this son, and he's finally got him. He's everything and more that he's ever hoped for, that he's ever dreamed of. He's the apple of his eye. He can't think, he doesn't think that it could get any better, that he's finally got his boy, and they're doing life together, and things are going well, and then all of a sudden, God asks him to do the unthinkable. I can't imagine as a father, what he must have gone through. I'm sure that night that Abraham begged and pleaded with God, I'm sure he said, God, please, if there's any other way, if there's any way out of this, then please show me another way. Please, God, don't ask me to do this. No one should have to do this. God, take me instead. I'm an old man. I've lived a long life. I've walked with you all of my life. Take me instead of Isaac, but let him live. I can't do this. God, you're asking me to do something that I just can't do. This is too much for my soul to bear. Despite the pain and the agony and all of his doubts and all of his fears and all of the things that must have been turning in his heart and in his mind, Abraham keeps moving forward by faith. keeps trusting that God is the God of the impossible. That God can do things that He can't even describe or imagine. And so, verse 6, it says this. says that, "...and Abraham took the wood..." of the burnt offering, and He laid it on Isaac, His son. And He took in His hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them, together. Can you see it? In that text right there is a shadow. It's a shadow of a greater sacrifice that begins to emerge. You see, Isaac unknowingly carries the wood in fact it says that Abraham go can we put that text back up it says Abraham lays the wood on the shoulders of his son and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac his son I want you to see the shadow I want you to see the picture you have Isaac this teenage boy and he doesn't know where they're going he knows he's just following his father and his father hands him a stack of wood and he sets it on his shoulder And he says, son, I need you to carry this wood up this mountain. And he begins to march for three days with wood on his shoulder up a mountain where he was to be sacrificed. Years later, several years later, centuries later, in John 19, we see a very similar picture. We see Jesus carrying the wooden cross on his shoulders up the mountain of the skull, Gogotha. Historians and theologians would tell us that 4,000 years previously on Mount Moriah the, is the same mountain where Isaac and Abraham were marching up for Isaac to be sacrificed. And 4,000 years later, it's the same mountain region that looks over the city, outside the city gates of Jerusalem, that Jesus would walk up Calvary's mountain, carrying the cross on His shoulders, willingly to lay His life down for each and every one of us. Do you see the shadows? You see Isaac carrying the wood that he would be sacrificed on. You see Jesus carrying the cross on His shoulders knowing that He's marching to His death. You see, Isaac unknowingly carries the wood up the mountain, but Jesus knowingly marches up that mountain knowing exactly what He's going to do. This is what He was born for. This is why He came. You see, what Isaac did unknowingly Jesus did willingly. Isaac had no idea what was happening, what was going on, what would happen on the mountain. But Jesus knew exactly why He came and what the mission was. And He marched forward anyway. Eventually, Isaac notices that there is something drastically wrong with this picture. In verse 7 it says this, it says, And Isaac, said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, I see the fire, I see the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. Did you see that? There's another shadow right there in the text. I've underlined it just a little for you, so it's kind of a hint. But Abraham, Isaac begins to question. He's like, wait a minute. Something's not adding up here. Like, I see the wood. I see the fire. Where's the lamb? Are we going to find one on the way? And Abraham responds and he answers and he says, son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Abraham had no idea in that moment how powerful and true that declaration would be. Thousands of years later in John chapter one, John the Baptizer, the cousin of Jesus, is out baptizing people in the wilderness. And Jesus comes walking up on the scene. And it says this It says, As Jesus, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you see it? Abraham makes this. Bold declaration to Isaac in that moment. He says, I don't know where the lamb is. God himself will provide the lamb. God himself will will handle this situation. Abraham couldn't have possibly known that thousands of years later that God would provide the ultimate lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world on that same mountaintop where him and his son were that day. He had no idea, no way of knowing what God would provide 4,000 years later that would rescue all of humanity through the ultimate sacrifice. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son in verse 13 it goes on and it says uh, well he's, he talks about offering up this burnt offering instead There's this substitute that happens in the nick of time at just the right time. At the last second when Abraham draws the knife and he's about to follow through with it. At just the right time, at just the right moment, God intervenes and God steps in without a second to spare. And he says, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Don't do it. I see now that you love and fear the Lord And in that moment, Abraham turns around and he sees that God has provided a substitute. It's a ram that's caught in the thicket. And he goes and he grabs the ram by the horns and he slaughters it and offers it as a sacrifice instead of Isaac. You see, Isaac's life was spared because of a substitute. Isaac's life was spared because of of a substitute so Abraham called that place verse 14 Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided on the mount of the Lord it not was but it shall be provided there's another shadow there. It's a shadow pointing to that same mountain that on that mountain, 4,000 years later, the Lord would provide the ultimate sacrifice once and for all that would erase the sins of for all of humanity once and for all. You see, when we look at this story, we see that God provided a lamb to take the place of Isaac. But there was no lamb to take the place of Jesus. He was the lamb. Isaac was spared because of a substitute. But Jesus laid down his life and sacrificed his life as a substitute. Let me read that again. Isaac was spared because of a substitute. But Jesus' life was sacrificed as a substitute. This was the plan from the very beginning. All the way back, if you remember last week in Genesis, when Adam and Eve made the wrong decision, when they chose to disobey God, instead of God giving them what they deserved, which was death, God steps in and he makes the first sacrifice. He kills an animal in order to cover them from all of their shame. And he gives them the clothing. That's the first animal sacrifice that we see. God steps in and he offers grace and he offers mercy instead of giving them what they deserved, which is what he said would happen, that they would get death. But instead of death, he gives them a substitute, a sacrifice. This was the plan from the very beginning. You see, there was no lamb or any other animal that would ever suffice, no animal sacrifice could ever take away the sins of the world. So throughout all of those centuries for thousands of years from Deuteronomy and Leviticus when the, the sacrificial system is set in place where the priests would take animals every year and they would, they would uh, slay them and offer them for as a sacrifice for all of the people's sins in that community. This went on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. But even that sacrificial system was a shadow that was pointing forward to a day when the greater substitute, the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus himself would come, and He would gladly, willingly lay down His life on that same mountain as the final and ultimate sacrifice for all of mankind, once and for all. All of these things were shadows that were pointing forward to a greater substitute, to a greater sacrifice. They were temporary substitutes until Jesus. Hebrews 10, if you have your Bibles, Hebrews 10, chapter 1, says this, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And by that will, the will of the Father, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You see, the story of Isaac in Genesis 22 is a story of us. And here's what I mean by that. All of us are guilty. All of us deserve death because of sin. But at just the right time, God provided a greater substitute God provided a substitute in our place, the Holy Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God Himself came to earth. The One who knew no sin became sin in order that you and I might become the righteousness of God. It's the substitutionary atonement. It's the One that steps in in our place. He lives the perfect life that you and I could never live. And then He dies a death that we deserve in our place. He is the all-time, ultimate, greater sacrifice. He's the greatest substitute that's ever been known. And He is the final authority and the final substitute that we will ever need. Jesus Christ in my place. That's the essence of the Gospel. The Gospel in four words. Jesus in my place. He took my place. He came and He he sacrificed Himself in order to save me. He paid the price for all of my sin that I might be set free. Just like the ram did for Isaac in Genesis 22. How crazy would it have been for Abraham in that moment with the knife drawn, about to slay his son, to look back and see the substitute, to see the ram that God had provided, and look away and kill his son anyway. Have you ever thought of that? How ludicrous and absurd would that have been for the father to look at the, the substitute that had been provided by God and to go, no thanks, I'm going to kill him anyways. Every time someone hears the Gospel, of Jesus Christ and sees what God has done by sending his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life every time someone looks at that and rejects it that's what they're doing they're choosing death over life they're saying I see what you've done I see what you provided and I don't care I'm going to walk away and I'm going to continue to live this life of death and destruction I don't know about you, but as a father, if I gave my only son and someone rejected it like that, there would be grave consequences in the end. It is a ferocious love. It is a love of a father who is willing to give his son up so that you and I could live. Now our only response to the greater substitute is that we receive it and we say, God, thank You that I don't get what I deserve. Thank You that You sent Your Son to die in my place. Now I want to live my life in freedom and in response to the greatest gift ever given, that You let Your perfect Son die for me. How can I not live for Him? Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, He is the greater substitute. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you walked in here with. But if there's anyone in this room that has not received that sacrificial gift, then maybe today is your day. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for Your love for us. Thank You for the way that You have provided by sending Your one and only Son. God, this time of year we celebrate His birth But we know in the shadow of the manger was the cross. It was the very reason He was born. He was born to die. He came to offer Himself in our place. Father, if there's anyone here or watching online that has not accepted that gift, Father, it's the greatest gift that they could ever have. Father, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Father, I pray that they would come to know who you are and what you have done. Father, for the rest of us that have received that amazing gift of love, that sacrificial love that you sent your Son to take our place, God, how could we not live our lives sold out for Him? Father, the one who knew no sin became sin in order that we might live and be the righteousness of God. May we live in response to your grace, your mercy, and your goodness. May we point people to you, the greater substitute. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
0: I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.